brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed, developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you're able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. I don't know about you guys, but choosing the right luggage when I'm traveling eliminates tons of guesswork and stress. So we're teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off their next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. Thank you for joining me for this month's episode of My Survivor Voice, the podcast where voice stands for voices of independence, closure, and empowerment. I'm Danny, the founder and president of Arthur Memorial Foundation Incorporated, which is also the domestic violence nonprofit organization that sponsors this podcast. This month's survivor is Shala Ishral. Shala is a mom, trauma counselor, proud unschooler, and of course, she's a survivor. And she's ready to share how she overcame the trauma she was subjected to as a child that contributed to her adult experiences. There's no denying Shala's passion for psychology and theology once you've heard her speak of her inner healing journey. You're definitely in for a treat. So let's jump right in. Shala, thank you so much for doing this. I definitely appreciate it. I think your story is one that is going to inspire so many who may be going through the same things and don't know where to turn or what to do or how to survive. So let's just start by you introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit of background about you and then kind of segue into your survivor story because you've survived a lot. I have. Let's see how quick my little elevator pitch can be. Um, Well, I'm, I'm born and raised here in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, so I've, I haven't gone far, you know, to get to college. I've hopped three hours over to Athens, Ohio, and that kind of thing, um, but I was really born into trauma. You don't realize it until you're older that you kind of are a, a set of statistics, a lot of statistics and cliches, because right. it's all you know growing up, so um, I was actually born to... Um, uh, with a father who was, who, you know, abandoned the situation. Yeah. Um, he didn't stick around. Um, it's my understanding that there was domestic violence when I was really young. Mm-hmm. So, um, my mom did leave, but my mom also had her own unresolved trauma and issues as well. Mm-hmm. So I had one apparent who would be considered the neglect side of abuse and then I lived with a parent who would be considered the abuse by commission. Right. Um, so I was really raised in a home where I had been groomed from a young age to sort of normalize and tolerate a lot of verbal abuse. I actually, um, it took me a little while after working through some of the larger or some of the more prominent issues that people tend to dig into with uh, childhood trauma, digging a little deeper into the hairline fractures, I realized that I experienced something similar to buck breaking. Um, So there was a point at which when I started to develop from child into tween and teenagerdom, where I was really experiencing this um, really strange combination of psychological, it was like psychological molestation, not physical 
sexual molestation, but to the point of just really intimate body shaming intentionally. Not like when you hear a mom criticize something in passing and it is inappropriate when they do that, right. but more like intentional waiting for me to come out of the shower. It got to the point where I would be kind of trying to run across to my room to finish up so I wouldn't have to go through it, but really having to stand in front of her and hear the criticisms and the passive aggression and sort of apologies for how I was going to turn out and my body and how it was going to look and sort of this as if my as if nature had failed me yeah. in my physical appearance um just kind of poking prodding very much I always describe it as feeling like a slave on a bidding block oh my gosh and so it really turned into um all these messages in my own head and my own identity that you know I'd be lucky to have any man have me or want me at a certain point and I really when you add on top of that um just the other abuse and excessive corporal punishment um sometimes had knives wielded at me and just excessive beatings for what is considered normal age appropriate behavior and now i know i also have was overcoming adhd it is really hard to detect in girls we should make sure we put a pin in that I, um, I taught special education. Um, oh, yes. It's very easy to miss in girls. And, and um, to overdiagnose in boys. <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> and so um, things as simple as forgetting to put away the dishes. I, one thing, ironically, I really knew from a young age, like, this is not normal. There are children doing way worse than me in the streets and at home even. I'm helping to take care of my sister. And that was another thing that also groomed me. I was a caregiver at an early age, kind of gave up a lot of my childhood to be kind of like a co-parent to my mom. So, you know, a lot of kids are put in that situation. You've got a single parent who is trying to figure out how to make things work and they're not taking advantage of all the resources they can. And um, it leaves sometimes the oldest in caregiver responsibility, which is just, it just, all of those things. Um, I learned to place my value in my intelligence, my book smarts. Yeah. Um, that was something that my mom always said, you know, make sure you get, get a degree, like go to college and just don't be like me. Don't have uh, children at a young age. It was weird because she was teaching me a good lesson, but not with a healthy foundation and also rooted in the idea that anytime I failed, I was reminded that she kind of regretted not aborting me. Oh my God. And um, so there were just a lot of psychological uh, trauma, a lot of psychological trauma, uh, warfare, I like to call it a lot of times. Much so. Uh-huh. So basically, um, and, and the funny thing is, in the midst of that, when you're a child, you don't even you don't really know any other lifestyle. Yeah. Except for the fact, I think most children, you, you know, unless you're in a situation where you're really isolated, like a kidnapping situation, mm -hmm. if you're getting out in school or church or other social places, at least some of the time, you do get a chance to see that there is, other people don't live like that or not, are not being treated that way. Not all children are treated the same way. And I knew that this was not normal. I knew this was not how I should be treated. So I really started running away beginning around age six. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, and I continued to run away periodically up until about age 16. Um, and there was some sexual trauma in there, which by the time I finally faced it and like brought it out of suppression, you know, it took a while to unravel that. I didn't figure out until the last few years that that person was actually a family member's father, which is why it all just kind of got swept under the rug as if, if she doesn't say anything or tell anyone, we're just going to let this go like it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, but when you were saying that you started running away at the age of six, do you now in your adulthood, like, remember you know sometimes there are things that happened to me as a child that i remember like smells i can't remember how old i was i can't remember right. the date 
but I can remember a smell about it or because it was something that may have been traumatizing to me or just something that I remember. Do yes. you actually remember like literally leaving the house, like to run away? Uh, there's one runaway I remember very quickly, uh, 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 clearly, because I took my god sister with me. Gotcha. <laughs> I didn't even know what was going on at that time, but I had a plan and I don't know what I was thinking, trying to run away with jellies on and the police ended up catching us. We were trying to run to her, her house right? The next couple of neighborhoods over. And so that's really the only one. Well, no, I remember at least one or two in my tween to teen years. Mm. The thing is, you know, nobody's takes you in generally. You have to go back home. Yeah, and that that is um, unfortunate in a in a sense when it comes to I mean you know don't get me wrong especially nowadays you have some kids that run away because their parents took their phone like you know but um, especially in our day when things were I mean I'm just let's be honest childhood trauma for our generation was very prevalent and we don't talk about it because we of the way we're, ways we were raised we were raised to shut up be seen not heard yeah what goes on in this house stays in this house but you know, those types of of things so we don't talk about it but childhood trauma was very prevalent and um so if you did run away um yeah nine times out of ten whoever you ran away to was were gonna send you back to your mom because that was oh no you're not gonna tell your mama business and you're not you right. know and not just that but how we define abuse because it's nothing new under the sun our parents were traumatized, our parents' parents, and it, there are glitches in the matrix who decide to break the cycle. Yes. And then there are people who don't heal or break cycles within themselves. And so those hard places in your heart become your blind spots in your parenting and how you yeah. interact with humans in general. Yes. And the cycles keep going until somebody decides to say, wait, this actually is not helping anybody. Yes. <laughs> this is my uh, so. And we got to fix this because I can't function like this. Right. At some point, does somebody get a conviction and say, hmm, let me look closer at this. How's that working for us? Yes. It's not. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, you become unpopular and make people uncomfortable, especially those who are not willing or ready to face those parts of themselves. And especially if you find a solution it makes them feel convicted because that means they could have done it. They could choose to do it, but they don't want to, or they're not ready or whatever the case may be. Often it's, we don't want to. Yeah. For the part. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. You know, have pride, stubbornness, and fear. Pride and fear are, you know, two of our biggest issues. Oh my God. Because you're kind of afraid to dig into where your wound is coming from. Right. Because I was saying this to somebody else some, the other day. Somebody dropped us in a certain area or multiple areas if you've dealt with complex trauma. But sometimes people drop us. And, and especially when it's a caregiver who continues to do it. Yeah. That continuing to be dropped breaks your trust bond, your attachment bond, to the point where you... Um, because there's a scripture that talks about this too, but we associate our caregivers as authority the same way we look at God, for example. Yes. God, the Most High, um, Yahweh. And so it's, it, it, it really, when, when parents don't choose to heal and break cycles, when they carry on the cycles, they kind of communicate to their child a reflection of what God would look like. Right. as a father because he's our father he's our parent as well spiritually speaking and so expecting people to just easily surrender their feelings and vulnerability when they associate doing that with being dropped at a vulnerable age mm -hmm. yeah people have to be able to break down that connection that yes in the natural i was vulnerable at that age and the person i was born to or given to care for me didn't handle me well or safely right but that's not actually god god will handle me safely he will keep and protect in a way and he's you know 
he's safe even when people are not safe. Right, right. Which is the root of church hurt too, but a lot of people, that's a whole other sermon. Y'all, church hurt is so real. And I know um, as somebody who grew up in the church and my mom is all about the church, um, I know a lot of people um, tend to shy away from from that topic but church hurt is real um and i think when we start to um admit like let's just call it, yeah admit when we start to admit that church people do hurt people the church is not perfect because <laughs> the church is full of hurt people right it's a hospital exactly. and heaven help us how many churches really are digging into the emotional maturity behind spiritual maturity oh, oh no we all want to pretend that we're all so high-minded and right and we've been saved all our lives we've always done everything from what boo boo because i don't see the fruit right exactly have material sustenance in the fruit that's right but what that heart do I was about to say, but your spirit is raggedy. Raggedy, child, raggedy. That's how I was. That's the part I was getting to. <laughs> I went, uh, so uh, being, I learned to be performative out of the fear mm -hmm. of um, displeasing and knowing that essentially the message was communicated. I should consider myself lucky I'm here because I could have been aborted. And yeah. so you better not fail this or, you know, fall into my bad graces. You need to prove to me that you deserve to be alive. Mm -hmm. So I did that with school. I tried to really just perform well in school. I ended up um, at um, a college prep school here locally that once I graduated, it's one of those schools, you, you know, you perform, you do well, and you, um, I, I went through a time in the system also where before there were more therapeutic services being offered on site, we're getting more of that in the schools now, which is really good. Yeah. They were there though, because there was a point at which we had a JFS call and I was, they were requiring my mom to take me to therapy. But when you go to therapy with a person with an abusive um, nature or, or, or personality type of disordered person, a cluster B personality, we'll call it. When you go to therapy with them, the goal is not ever for you to deal with the issues, but to cover up everything Absolutely. and make sure everything looks okay nothing <laughs> so needless to say we didn't go long yeah and um same thing ended up happening to my sister you know it's a pattern yeah i don't actually want therapy they just want to fool the therapist right absolutely so, um, i never got that kind of help what i did have i did have what a lot of kids end up having sometimes you know a neighboring family or a church family or a church or uh, a boys and girls club yeah. you know god always sends some um tools and supports to try to get you through that unhealthy situation until you can get out of it and get free of it on your own and do better for yourself right. and so i was blessed through that time to have a church family that was really loving they really actually um mm -hmm. what i learned was love what was projected onto me was love and just always getting to hang out with i had a, a best friend uh, that had introduced me to the church from grade school and so what i came to experience overall from that church was just a lot of mothering and nurturing and family dinners after uh church on sunday and hanging with the i used to try to be over their house as much as possible i just loved it over there because they had a mom and a dad and fun things and I could just go play there and not have to worry about abuse. Yeah. So, um, ironically, I happened to be a kid who, um, I just kind of developed a passion for God on my own from a pretty young age. And it got to the point, like I had to argue to be baptized uh, at age 13. I had to kind of fight for my faith in the household. I experienced persecution in my own home often. Yeah lots of like fear tactics about what happens if you become saved and the devil's going to come at you harder now and blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't care. I all, I, she, because I was so discerning at a young age, I picked up on my mom's hypocrisy at a young age. And so it was really easy for me to see that it was hard for me to completely respect what she was telling me because her fruit, you know, I won't go into all what she carried on in her life, but her fruit, compared to the fruit I was seeing with people in my church who were encouraging me to 
study your Bible and do Sunday school and read the Sunday school pamphlet and memorize your verses, I'm, I'm going with this fruit. It looks way better than how, and the way they treat me compared to how she was treating me, right. they just had more credibility. Yeah. And there were grandmas from the church because it was such a small little community. Walking home from school, you could stop and I could get my favorite cheese or peanut butter and jelly sandwich from Mama Beulah mm -hmm. and all the mamas and all that good stuff. So I had some mothering in my life in place of my unhealthy mom. Yeah. And so that kind of got me through on top of me just having a passion for my relationship with God on my own. Um, the, ironic, the ironic thing, like I got to the point where I would take the bus and take my sister and we take two buses to get to church. And eventually somebody at the church realized they lived near us and would give me a ride or whatever. But I just had that level of pursuit on my own without, you know, a lot of help from anybody else. Absolutely. But ironically, because of the abuse and because of the grooming and being taught that it's my job, everything's my fault and it's my job to fix people, I did leave the house with a form of pride. I ended up leaving codependent, but not knowing that that's what I was at the time. Right. I couldn't speak intelligibly. I thought I was fine. I graduated, I'm off to college. And then I, after college, I'm off to, um, uh, the workforce. Right. I was in Fortune 500 companies. Right when I graduated, I met my ex-husband. Right. Now ex-husband. Right. I had no. I hadn't done. I hadn't dealt with a doggone thing beneath the surface. I just had a kind of a. I really. I mean, in a lot of ways, I was kind of lukewarm, to be honest. Yeah. A lot of my righteousness was self-righteousness, which is a horrible combination when you meet an abusive person. This, this you need to run in that direction sister. okay <laughs> so it was like and the funny thing is let me tell you what how that happened just a quick sort of recap on how i got there because i was the kid that everybody said you're doing great basically holding on to your virginity hold that yeah. and so i was like i'm holding no problem and then i get to college and i did open the door with some inappropriate you know, just, I would say crossing boundaries intimately, but I had not become sexually active yet. Mm -hmm. But then I, when I graduated and I met him, this is what happened that now I know. I like to go back and dissect the anatomy of my disobedience. Yeah. So I can pick that thing apart and break every point in the chain of sin mm -hmm. to try to break that cycle and learn from it. That is so, so Yes, girl, listen, listen. Because I don't be liking, I, don't, I ain't trying to get in trouble with the most high twice for the same thing. I don't like getting in trouble. I was a goody two-shoes in school. Eh, I don't like it. So <laughs> you ain't got to tell me twice, father. Just come on, let's fix it. So what happened in hindsight, this is what, 20 years later, I realized this. When I left college and the little kind of safe place and a friend group that I had built, I had, um, I had some level of security and a healthy attachment bond there. Mm -hmm. I was stable. I didn't have anybody abusing or oppressing me. Um, I was um, with a good friend circle and life was pretty good, but I had not dug into anything. I was just, things were lying dormant. Mm -hmm. But when we all graduated and everybody went their own way. That was a trigger and I didn't know that. I came home and I felt lost and alone, like a stray sheep yeah. open for a wolf. And my mom was trying to latch back on and she had basically conveyed like, you went away for four years, you didn't had your time and you owe me. I've been here with this child like it wasn't her kid yeah. all along. Right. And all this trying to just basically, I felt her trying to kind of clamp back down on me. Right. And I was just like, oh, no, ma'am, you get blocked. And it's about two weeks later, in walks him. So I'm dealing with this feeling of abandonment from my mother. Yeah. Uh, like basically the kind of abandonment where it's, if I don't do what you say and let you exploit me, you're going to what, abuse me more? No, we're not doing that. And then on top of that, feeling abandonment, although of course graduation shouldn't feel that way, but when you haven't dealt with your trauma, 
I'm looking around like my support system is gone. I have nobody. I have to start over and build a whole new life. Yeah. And at the time, I was also very frustrated about graduating from a major that I didn't know how to use or feel that I wanted to use. Mm -hmm. So I was having an identity crisis all the way around, child. I was just good free pickings, just good pickings <laughs> for uh, an abuser. I didn't know who I was from the yeah. head to toe. And I'm I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So glad you said that when you said pickings <laughs> for an abuser, because I don't think a lot of people realize is abusers lay in the weight. Like they're kind of like lions. Yeah. Yes. They look a snake in the grass. Much so. They stalk <laughs> Like, best believe they see you before you even notice them. And they know. And once they, once you notice them, they've already watched you. So they know how to get their, their hooks in you, so to speak. Yeah. So like you said, like you said, you were unaware, but trust and believe the abuser was, was aware, very aware of what he was, would have been able to accomplish or what he was going to get out of that relationship. Yes. And now, so here's the funny thing. I get by the time I meet him, then I was in this space where I was basically mad at God. Like I don't went to college and I did all the right stuff. And I feel like this is not working right. Like you got me messed up. I done did all this thinking I'm doing right and whatever. This is not what this was supposed to look like. But that's why. God opposes the proud yes. and exalts the humble child. Listen, yes. it's all up and through the scripture. He said it to every king in the book of Kings and Chronicles. Like, okay, you're doing good, but stay humble. Because yes. if you get out of pocket, yes. I'm going to have to humble you, bro. Yes. And every time they brought in Baal and idolatry and adultery, we are an adulterous, stiff-necked, hard-headed people. Yes, we are. We want what we want the way we want it. Even though he said, don't do that. That's not going to be good for you. Just like children. Please understand, like to all the listeners, please understand this type of understanding. It, it takes you hitting rock bottom, unfortunately. It, a lot of us have to hit rock well, bottom before we realize. It's true. But I will say, I, we can break cycles so that our children don't have to hit these rock bottoms. If you don't take your child through trauma, or if you did and you choose to create space, safe space for them to grieve, yes. they don't have to hit all the rock bottoms we did. Right. And, and I agree with that notion that we, it's so unfortunate. So many other cultures understand this and melanated people sometimes don't this idea that when you're 18, you're grown and you're out. You got to get out. Mm -hmm. You have an inheritance for this child. Like you, we, we let, not all of us, right. people but, are breaking the cycle, but there is still a pervasive mindset that the legal age given by this American society determines that you should now be able to just, a child's brain is not even fully developed until around age 22 or 23. Thank you. I need y'all to stop it. Thank you. I, I need y'all to get educated. Yes, yes. And you know, Goodwill, your child is not, come on. Stop, ma'am and sir. And I know at 18, in two years, he ain't going to be ready. He's going to be right here. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Listen, and they're going to need guidance and all of it beyond the college age. You're a parent until you die or God forbid they would pass first or anything. Absolutely. But you're a parent your whole life. You have a kid, you're a parent. You right. are accountable. That is a covenant. Another thing I don't think folks get. get Covenant is not just marriage. It is our relationship with the most high and our relationship with our children. You may even have some covenant friendships, but especially those you give birth to, that's a covenant. Yes, yes. Uh, and you better not break it, even though- And folk be adulterous and abusive and all the things. And then the childism and this notion as if the child is not a human or something that you can just treat them however. They'll be all right. You'll be all right. I turned out all right. And and that's one thing that I'm I'm glad you brought that up as well. We have got to get away. And I honestly, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't start to look at this this way until um 2019 when my family suffered a tragic loss due to somebody who was controlling and had this attitude. 
Uh-huh. The the young the gentleman who murdered my niece, great niece, and great nephew had this attitude that they were his possessions. Those children were his children. We got to get this because they're mine. No, these are little human beings. You are responsible. Like yeah, we use that vernacular. They're, they're on loan to us. They belong to the Most High. Exactly, and you better treat them like you know they are God's children. It's true. He says that in his word. True religion is taking care of the widowed and the orphan. Um, Or, uh, you know, a better example, my son is a great example of this. Telling him, he's highly intelligent. We are some high-functioning trauma kids in this house, child. They done came, you know, super readers and private school and all the little sedity stuff I did while we were at home breaking and knocking over lamps and fighting and cussing and carrying on in front of these kids. I still cuss, but it's like righteous cussing, you know. Right. I don't cuss about injustice. I don't be calling folks names and verbal abuse. Right. Adverbs and adjectives. <laughs> but uh, he's that child that... He can regurgitate all the right things to do and all the coping skills once he's de-escalated and he's not functioning in his amygdala. When that child is in their amygdala, in that primal lower part of your brain that causes fear and violence and uh, self-defense and like survival mechanism behaviors, you are not going to get the best out of that child. And if that child has uh mood behavioral or whatever disorders which parents are often not acknowledging are there because well i left the domestic violence so we don't have that problem you left it it didn't leave you though it didn't leave your child y'all didn't give space to grieve that and some of them jump right into the next relationship the child head is still spinning from the last one okay (laughs) so you got a child over here struggling and you got nerve to be asking, why are you acting like a jerk? Why are you acting like this? And I'm going to punish you and take away this and do that. And you deserve consequences. The child needs help. Yes, yes. And then- the baby needs therapy. The baby probably needs an ADHD medicine of some sort or a natural. Uh, if you go natural, medicinal, you got to use wisdom. Because then some of these children, like my son, he couldn't take therapy. Because he was up here with the anxiety over his head on top of the ADHD, on top of having a high IQ. The boy was almost off the charts on the IQ test, couldn't even sit still long enough to take the test, though. He said, imagine what this child would be if I could have gotten him to sit longer to finish it. Couldn't sit through therapy, couldn't sit to wait in the office for the therapy, 5, 10, 15 minutes. Couldn't sit. You have to realize that as parents, um, I, I spoke with a, a gentleman who was actually on my May episode of the podcast, and um, I guess they'll hear this later. So, <laughs> but one of the things he said, because he suffered some some childhood trauma as well, and one of the things that he said resonated with me as a parent, and I felt so convicted in my spirit, said one of the things that his mother would do was like browbeat him whenever he got in trouble, not physically, but Right, right. You this a lot of the condemnation. And I said, you know, I try my hardest not to condemn my son, but I do find myself when he finally reaches that threshold with me, I start bringing up instead of dealing only with the issue, the behavior that is the issue at that time, I find myself bringing up, yeah, and then remember you did this, and I should have got you because you did that, and yeah. Oh, I had to thank him. I stopped the interview and I said, thank you so much for sharing that. Because as a parent, I didn't even realize the damage I was doing to my child. But we have that with partners too. Exactly. You get to be like, it just all starts coming back. And another thing, and oh yeah, you did this and I never dealt with that. When the Bible tells us, you're supposed to deal with the art in your heart at the time. Let not the sin go, or the sun go down on your wrath. Exactly. All of that. We as parents start to acknowledge that we are not always right. We are wrong a lot of the time. (laughs) Because we're the parent. We have authority over what happens in that child's life. So a lot of times it would behoove us to sit back and debrief on the underlying issue. Behavior is really just, there's a really good quote for this, and I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to paraphrase it. But the behavior, especially hyper-aroused or volatile Uh, you know, behavior that irritates us as parents is often a cry for help. It's a a sign 
it's really just the outward expression of something internally. Yes. Sleep deprivation, mm-hmm. over busy lifestyle, life out of balance, um, unresolved issues that they just haven't dealt with from past trauma. And because uh, this is the thing I learned the other day, and not the other day, but a while back in a trauma-focused class, it, if you process a trauma, a traumatic incident within the first 24 to 70, 72 hours, it really helps mitigate the damage it does to your brain. Now, if you are raised in a community that is typically push it under the rug with cheap forgiveness, they want to rush you to forgiveness. Right. Like, I'm still sorting my feelings out. Can I please? Can I please? Yes. And, and so, and so if you're in a community like that where oh, we just don't talk about those things, yes. who's processing anything in 24 to 72 hours around these parts? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And so we bury and we bury and it's working so against us. We set these children up for failure so often with the choices we are making. So you want the child to go to your, when do you connect and have FaceTime with the child? Just get to know them. That's how they're gonna learn to get in a relationship with the most high. Right, absolutely. The example in the house is more lukewarm, emotionally unavailable or superficial in relationships. Meaning we're around each other all day we, we we know some things about each other, yeah. but I don't know how you feel. Can we sit down and talk about three feelings you had today and why? Where I'm just interested in you as a person. Right. Less than 20 minutes per child. Yeah. Can we do that? Do we eat dinner together anymore in how many homes? Um, or are you on the go? And then here's what's really trippy to me. It is trippy because we've gotten ourselves in a situation where we're so out of the home that we need all these services Ooh. to help with the home. Yes. And so now you got a cycle where you got to go make that money to keep paying for the services to keep the house running and the children going and everybody's got to be in the activities and you got to pay the fees for all the activities yeah. and you got to be in all the activities. That is warfare alone. So we spread ourselves so thin to this little strip of a shred, a thread, or something piece of person hanging on. You are leaving yourself wide open to be taken advantage of, used, exploited. No boundaries. We have no boundaries in things that look harmless. Overachieving, performative, perfectionism, really busying ourselves and distracting ourselves because we kind of don't like our own company and don't want to be left alone with our own thoughts because then you'll start thinking about the stuff he really wants you to deal with because you don't trust him to help you deal with it. Right, right. At some point, you got to break into that whole mental conundrum and just trust him one little issue at a time. Just one little issue at a time. That's all I did. Yeah. When I finally decided, okay, enough is enough. Right. Absolutely. 2014, we were, I was to the point where I attempted suicide the month of my birthday. That was my rock bottom, as you might guess. Yeah. So it's the one thing, I, it's the one thing. I'm so glad I failed that. Cause now where I am, child, listen, hallelujah. Because at that time I really just felt so defeated. Like nothing, I, this is what happens by the way. When we condemn the children yeah. and push the performative perfection, we basically are communicating that they're not enough. Yep. So I went through my marriage trying to be enough for somebody who was never going to tell me I was enough because if he told me I was enough, then I wouldn't keep performing for him and overcompensating for what he refused to do in the marriage, refused to do as a father and a husband and a a, a spiritual head of the household. Yeah. No, I want you to overcompensate. I need you to take the blame for everything. I need you to be the fall guy, the pooper scooper, the zookeeper. You fix everything because... I can't have anything wrong with me. Right. Absolutely. I can't. My, my ego is too fragile, you know. And so when you get to a place where you realize I'm tapped out, you done tapped out so many times, like your body can just only handle so many times of up, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down on a person. Going through that seduce, devalue, and discard cycle before, depending on what you've been through, where you are, and what's going on in your life, 
you just snap and I just F it. I can't, I can't. I'm over it. That's what parents are supposed to give their children to better equip them to break the cycles. You don't just bark at them what to do and what not to do. You explain the why behind it. Exactly. Tell them the truth. He said in Revelation 12, uh, 11 through 12, we overcome by the power of the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. I apply that to my children so that they will understand like, you can learn from my mistakes. You don't have to repeat all of them. Right, exactly. And so we got to a point in the marriage where I am sitting here, attempted suicide. And was when I left the hospital, I was actually trying to, I started kind of trying to, the spirit of death was like on me. And I really started trying to think how I could finish the job. And I gave the most high an ultimatum. It took a friend of mine, a mentor at the time, um, who walked really patiently alongside me, listening to me fuss on the way to work about my now ex-husband and encouraged fasts and prayer and trying to figure out everything I could. And of course he loved, you know, to feed that voice. Mm -hmm. So did all that and you get to this point, that person, she, um, her and my sister would call and check on me for the next probably couple of weeks. Um, he just kind of stayed emotionally distant and, you know, it stayed pretty private. So it wasn't like yeah. something that would, you know, embarrass his public image and make us look bad. It was like, we're going to drive home and go back to normal. Like nothing happened. And then, you know, there was some hoovering and love bombing around my birthday. Let's try to bring joy. But he struggled with depression and all that as well. So how can you pour into, you don't have it. You ain't got it to give. Right, right. You haven't healed. You can't help me. Yeah. And I'm sitting here trying to deal with all this and mad at God at the same time. But I'm like, I'm, it's like, I'm mad, but I'm kind of like that little kid that's in the corner. Like, I mean, I know you real and stuff, but I ain't trying to fool with you right now, bro. Like go on somewhere. I'm kind of, yeah. I need a minute. Right. And so I hit this point where all these feelings and frustrations about society and the world and the pride and all these things I was discerning are just weighing on me. Right. I think I was just at a crossroad with the most high where I finally decided I'm going to get vulnerable and say what's really bothering me and what my fears are for my son and what's going to happen and this and that and third. Mm -hmm. and I started filtering that through scripture and I started blogging, starting with dealing with my racial wounds. Oh, wow. Okay. And then from there, it turned into, it's like I broke open a dam and the most high started waking me up for like two weeks around my birthday again in 2015, waking me up every night, just dealing with me about things I needed to look at in scripture. And he would send a child in sometimes to wake up out of their sleep and say something to me that was either bothering them, bothering them that he had just dealt with me on in scripture. Wow. It's just a lot of interesting, uh, mm. uh, encounters yeah. with the Holy Spirit to get me to face myself. And over time, eventually, eventually, during that two-week period, another thing happened, or a video I saw, a gospel rapper talking about his wife, wishing he could have protected his wife when she was raped as a child. There's a strong scene in there that triggered the mess out of me mm. and reminded me of what happened to me when I was five or four, somewhere in there. Yeah. And it hit different. Yeah. I had seen that video before, but I was more dead inside at the time. Yeah. Now I was wide open. Woo, that thing hit. And I started dealing with that. Now, at the same time I started, I finally wrote a long blog post that time, just processing what I could at the time about what happened and what I could remember. And it was such a fragmented story because you know the memories are fragmented after all these years and suppression right so during this time were you still experiencing the abuse from your husband or had y'all separated or was he still there still together still together oh. and so you're dealing with it but still enduring yes so at this time we definitely we tried a few little you know uh church small groups yeah 
But the issue, what makes those really awkward if you are a couple from domestic violence is you need a whole nother kind of group for your issues. Right. So you try to sit in a group with regular married folks with regular married problems, just trying to brush up and refresh. Yeah. We don't need a refresh. We need a overhaul and a U-Haul. Right. You need to be separated while you're playing. Right. A whole special another kind of therapist, you know. Yeah. So we were just kind of in our cycle. And another thing um, that I feel is really important to mention is that uh, our cycle was 60 to 90 days of seduced devalue discard, devalue discard. And I'm going to say it like we all say it. He didn't hit me that often. And sometimes I hit back. Well, child, listen, if you hit me, I'm hitting, I'm hitting back. And the other thing is when you grow up with a woman, your mother fighting you like a hooker on the back alley, yeah. coming at you crazy, punching you in the head, and you got to block and jab and, and, and got nerve to get mad at me when I block. I didn't even swing on my mama. She got mad because I would block. Yeah. Girl, I wish I would go to school with a black eye because of your crazy behind. You got me messed up. Yeah. yeah. So when you are raised like that and your abuser knows, because like you said, they study you, they find out your whole story in the beginning. Oh my gosh, yes. And so they'll tell all their stuff to look like you can relate. Confession mm -hmm. is not repentance. That's another big lie. Yeah. They get to confessing to get you to confessing. Right. And, you know, then they use that stuff against you. So he would flex and I think the word is what it was when they kind of lunge at you uh, and do things that look at you. Yeah. And make me think he about to, and you know, I'm five, three, he is six, six, 300 plus, And don't, don't you do it. Cause I'm not, mm -mm, I don't have time. You too big. I'm, I'm swinging. Right. So there were times he would lunge and I would just be like this. And then I'd be so triggered because I hadn't dealt with any of my triggers at that time. Like, I smack him on the arm or punch him in the arm. Like, how dare you? You know, especially because it wouldn't get to that until I had spent probably an hour trying to reason together, as the Bible says. Yeah. Football metaphors and all the man metaphors and the, the stories and the this, trying to get him to understand and realizing I was in a rabbit hole because he was always going to unravel what I said. So over time, I was trying to be patient and hold out. And I ended up joining another small group. Just, it was a, a short identity series or a, a brave series to try to stay in my marriage, mm -hmm. not leave it, ironically. So we're going through things. And at that time, I even asked him to leave. They say it takes us seven times. I probably got close to seven trying to leave and whatnot. Yeah. Essentially, at the time I was taking that, uh, um, healing sexual trauma healing group I'm dealing with I'm on the rocks now because I'm starting to realize how jacked up my boundaries are and starting to transform by the renewing of my mind like little by little to where he was feeling um the boundaries starting to be set yeah and that started some more covert behavior like sometimes I would catch him looking in my phone Cause he thought, he says he thought I was cheating or something. Cause I start setting boundaries. I am cheating on you with the most high. Okay. <laughs> but what ends up happening is he, we tried. And by May I was like, nah, bro, this ain't going to work. I can't, I cannot anymore. And he was like, well, how about this? You know, wait through the summer and just, and you wanted to be at home with the kids anyway, wait until, and he had just started school or was working on uh, his bachelor's at the time. And, just doing too much. You, your, your house is out of order, but we going back to school right now. Okay. Right. So at this time, also my kids start to really manifest the fruit of our domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And they're all struggling at school. The girls are more covert with the stealing and lying and things. My son was like born when we were circling the drain. He came out of the womb looking angry. Mm -hmm. and went to school. He was struggling at his home daycare. Yeah. And by the time he went to school that kindergarten year, I got to the point where I'd be sitting on the couch at home just with tremors, waiting for a call for them to have me come pick him up. Yeah. His behavior was so dysregulated. 
Yeah. So he basically, my co-parent had said, enjoy the summer and let's reevaluate when the kids go back to school. So I did that. We kind of kept distance in the same house or whatever. And at the end of the summer, another hoovering tactic with somebody had mentioned a real marriage group. And he suggested we try it. After years of me suggesting such things, never doing it, now you suggest we try it. We tried it. We got, I learned a lot from it. I still have those books. I actually learned the levels of forgiveness from that. And I teach people that. But again, we had deeper issues than that. So we get to the end of that class and I was telling the whole time, I'm like, you're overworking yourself, you know, pick up a second job, trying to pay for Christmas and cover the bills and trying to keep me a stay at home mom, which actually keeps me financially dependent, mind you. Yes. And all of that setup was so I wouldn't leave. And I'm like, this is not, I'm saying we need to downsize. We need to do this, that, and the third with our life. If we're, if you really are trying to make this work, but he wanted to keep doing it his way, which wasn't working. Right. So we get through that workshop and just like I predicted, he just fell back off to the same habits till one day we were talking on the phone. He's saying he hates me. You could just feel the tension and the distance happening. And I just said, I had committed to myself a personal boundary. I'm not going through another year of this cycle. Right. And so we got one day I heard the scripture, love yourself, love others as you love yourself. And it hit different. I had never focused on the, as you love yourself part. And I just sat with the most time really analyzed what that meant and realized I wasn't doing that at all. Or, or let's put it this way. If I was, it was toxic. I clearly don't love myself because the way I'm loving you and this ain't working and the children are jacked up. Everybody's jacked up. This is not love. Right. So I tried to have a conversation and that's when he started getting more volatile because I had shifted to avoid fighting. That was another boundary I set. No more fighting in front of the kids. Yeah. Text and write letters and all this stuff and see no change. Mm -hmm. So we separated in 2017 in February. Yeah. But all praises to the most high because I jumped into, I continued blogging. Good. That was something that me and the most high really, it really helped me heal, but it invited people along in the journey. Like, Hey, this is how I'm healing. Hopefully you get something from it. If you don't, I'm still going to be good. Right. Absolutely. A lot of people have benefited from it. Um, but I also jumped into therapy twice a week for a little while because everything was falling apart at once my children's behaviors were just dysregulating so badly across the board yeah i had to face all of that i had a lot of fires to put out at once and i just had to eat that elephant one bite at a time i you know went through the phase where he begged me not to put him on child support i'm gonna do it under the table of course he didn't keep his word we ended up down at you know filing for um um uh federal aid and yeah Went through the summer, you know, with little to no food and relying on, um, you like the summer swim, swimming pool programs and library programs for sustenance, which meant I didn't eat much because they only served the children. But hey, I lost weight. (laughs) Um, It was like intermittent fasting. (laughs) But it really um, was quite a process. I did therapy twice a week for probably at least a season. Then uh, I had to use the family law clinic, the free family law clinic in our area yeah. in order to review the dissolution paperwork. Yeah. I don't recommend dissolution for anybody who's come from domestic violence. It doesn't cover you or protect you as well because dissolution is for people who kind of end more amicably and are more mature yeah. both emotionally. Yeah. If you're dealing with somebody like this, there are, you need what is in place with a divorce process even though it, it can be more expensive or you better have a really good advisor on your side through women helping women or something. If you can only afford a dissolution, right. because that thing on agreement didn't give me the coverage I needed. He tried to convince me the lawyer was for both of us. He was not, yeah. I went and had my stuff checked by the family law clinic, but they can only do so much. Right. And so we just kind of, um, between trying to file that paperwork and dealing with the little, side piece he brought in and the stalking and the foolishness and the children all falling apart and needing programs and IEPs and 504s trying to go to a a, a divorce care group I was trying it felt like I was on a roller coaster with no seat belt right, right. so 
to finally get to a place where, you know, it's been a journey. But it's, but it's getting better. That's what I was just about yes. to um, kind of. Yes. In the atmosphere, um, all of that childhood trauma, domestic violence, um, mental anguish. You yes. survived all of that and you're still surviving a lot of it, but you're, you've survived all of that. And I think that is like a saving grace and a, a glimmer of hope for people who are in that place that you were in in 2014 and 2015. It gets better. It gets better. Um, That's the most amazing thing about testimony. The way it's supposed to work is that they see when you were in the muck and the mire and the trial and tribulation, how, not just the end. We can't just, if we're going to be the royal priesthood and scripture and teach the nations, we've got to show them not just the highlight reel on social media, but how we got there. Yes. So we look at people on chapter 20 and try to compare our chapter one. <laughs> or, or we're not comparing, but we just want to just get there like it's fast food. How can I no, get honey. Mm -mm, it's work. And it wasn't just therapy on once a week. Sis had to spend hours in devotion with the most high. True. Yeah. Therapist purpose is, is to sort of be the jackhammer that breaks up the stony ground. Right. It expose the issues, but you need the living water of the most high to wash that stuff away. Yep. Yep. So wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely. <laughs> If I could, t and I think that has been like a theme and I love that, um, for my survivor voice, you know, we're a fairly new podcast, but that has been a theme is, um, everybody has said, you know how I got through, I did this, this, this and therapy and I did that. And I, I talked to people, but I prayed or, you know, like, yes, it's indeed. Take me. I am yours and I am naked and here's my wounds. You got to get real. I'm telling you, you, you definitely have to get real and be, um, in a, another cliche, you have to be open. Yes. Cause if you, if you're not open, you're not ready. Nope. <laughs> you're not going to be able to handle all the great things he's got in store for you. If you can't handle this great, I'm telling you with greatness comes anguish. And if you are not ready in your not so greatness to be open, is not gonna happen <laughs> when it's true. You and the thing is, we see that fruit, right? We see that people yeah. use you, but he can only use you so far. And right, if you don't get he can only use you to a certain depth, you know. You if you haven't healed those areas, you don't even have the emotional depth, the emotional capacity, and the healthy boundaries. Because chances are you're spreading yourself so thin, you don't have the capacity anyway to withstand that with a person. Right. If he sends you somebody, you that damage him because you try to rush him through that process. That is so true. That's so true. So let's talk about now present. Present. Okay. So you are, you are, I say we're always healing, but you have healed and are healing from this childhood trauma. You are like on the up road coming off of this, um, this custody battle and <laughs> these great things are happening. What is life like now? Like yours, if you had to compare that space. Well, first of all, it's that peace that surpasses understanding. Having that, I've had it for a while, but to have also, um, I've given myself space to be multifaceted. I still have righteous anger. I think people think peace means you don't emote and you don't respond and you're unbothered. No, I'm bothered when you mess with my kids. The word when you say <laughs> peace it means you don't get angry um there's a meme that is out of um it says what people think spiritual awakening looks like and it's like this lady in a field and the sun yes. is flowing and yes. it's like what spiritual awakening really looks like and this is right and their hair is wild they're boohoo crying like y'all i all peaches and cream i promise the whole cocoon phase, that's exactly just that slimy, yucky larva thing. Yes. Uh, and so now, it's just ironic because, um, you know, I'll talk about my situation. And if somebody is healed and um, really, you know, used to discussing trauma, yes. they can hear, like, she's fine. She's just upset, righteously indignant about injustice, like she should be. Absolutely. But then there are people who haven't quite dealt with things who kind of feel like that's like, Oh, because you're talking about it, you're still bitter. No, actually, I'm not. 
this is normal. I, I should be angry. Oh. And sometimes that happens when people get to a place where they may have come out of a situation, but it's like you forget where you came from. Like now you know you was mad when. Right. No. So um just to be to have peace that passes understanding for me means, you know, I might be pissed off in the moment because he done irritated me or something, but I know God got me. Just sometimes I'm I'm still human. I think that we don't get yeah. like I'm God like. I am not God. He gave me feelings. Thank you. He got feelings. And those feelings are what remind me I gotta keep humbling myself and submitting back to him. Because if I acted on all my feelings, we'd be talking to me from an orange jumpsuit in a daggone jail cell. Thank God. You better thank God for Jesus because I'm, listen, hallelujah. Yes, ah. yes. Many a days. Remember that even after healing, you you will never be perfect. Um, I think that's- You're going to need to re-up. You're yes. going to have other life issues. Just because you get out of that situation doesn't mean you just arrived. Okay. So what's in store for you? Like, what do you have? What, what are you working on? What are your plans? Okay, wait. <laughs> okay. So I am actually working on a memoir, just the way my brain works. That's like the best approach for me. I think I'm probably like a devotional writer and a mm-hmm. essay writer. So I'm working on a memoir um, to really cull the experience. And I haven't figured out, it feels like it might need to be a trilogy because I feel like there needs to be sharing and even like workshops maybe like teaching on navigating leaving and all the resources and healing for that leaving space to heal and just self-discovery not rebounding and jumping into relationships then establishing healthy dating boundaries according to scripture and navigating co-parenting through hidden abuse that won't be acknowledged by the system and takes you a while. Yeah, yeah. So I am working on that. And I'm in the fledgling stages because I'm, on, to be honest, I'm really not even sure I want to sell it. I'm the type of person, I, one time, you know how some people will have a downloadable PDF or mm-hmm. book like that? Yeah, yeah. And then just, I'm, right now I'm in this like, I'm still in this like self-discovery, renewal, restoration space mm-hmm. where I've gone from, healed to him making me whole, really dealing with the hairline fractures in my teaching and understanding scripturally, which then helped me heal some little things in my identity that were like leftovers hanging out there yeah. and have made me just stronger and better equipped in my identity to carry forward. So ironically, I don't, it, I'm not promoting this in, in some way or fashion, there's, I don't have a formal logo or anything of this nature. Right. What I've been doing all these years is like a lay person counseling. Like if you had a peer to peer counselor, yeah. whoever is attracted from my blog or what have you. And I started, I've started sharing in groups, um, where appropriate just recently, like literally maybe yesterday or the day before. I finally joined into some like narcissistic abuse groups and things Wow! to try to just help offer support and encouragement in certain conversations and questions and share my testimony in those spaces. Also, it does sound redundant because you've processed it. You're right. different place now with your situation, hmm. but other people are not. They still need to know because right. some folk I did not expect to come in my inbox, landed in my inbox. And I'm like, you. What? I didn't know. I'm telling you, um, when I started this platform with R3 Memorial, um, that's honestly how R3 Memorial started. I, I believe getting, well, after my everything happened with my niece and her children, I was getting people like people I had known for decades. Yep. Never had a clue in my inbox. Well, you know, so-and-so did this and you know, I went through this. And I'm just like, why are, why are we as brown women, why are we not saying anything? Why are we going through this alone? Why are we not finding- Nobody's creating safe spaces for us to talk. That's where this comes in. Exactly. Just so you at least know you're not alone here. Yes, absolutely. To me. Yes. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much. And, um, Oh, before we, before we end, tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, you'll find me on Instagram 
as uh, shala.yishrael. Um, it's my um, S-H-A-L-A-H dot Y-S-H-R-A-L. And you can follow me just to not only follow my story, but hopefully the goal in the way I write is that you find yourself in it in some way, see what you may be able to get glean from it to help you heal. That's the goal. Absolutely. And um, of course, feel free to reach out if you ever just kind of want to have someone to just empathize and know you're not alone. Yeah. Um, and that same name also on uh, Facebook as well. Great, great. So I'm not going to put the blog out there yet because I'm still kind of playing with it. Okay. But, you know, those links will definitely be out there in my bio. They say link in bio. Bio, yeah. So yes. <laughs> I'm going to be, y'all better go follow her because I'm going to be one of the first ones to get a hold to it. You know, well, you don't know this. I love a good read. I love to be able. Oh, yes. I love a good read that gives me some substance. So right, the substance is the thing. Yes, absolutely. So I love that. Well, once again, thank you so much. I totally thank you for having me. Oh, I, I when I found you on Instagram, I was like, oh, she has an amazing story. She wants to share because somebody can heal from this. Somebody can start their healing process from this. Yes. So I was, that's all we're doing. We're just out here trying to facilitate healing. Let's get these ACEs scores down, okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Listen, I need to get those things down and get support in place for the babies. Please, please, because y'all got to remember those babies are are all we have for our future. We got to make sure they're right. Yes. <laughs> I want to be around here a long time. <laughs> Wrong by your kids and end up in one of them old raggedy cheap nursing homes. <laughs> you better be nice to them kids. I'll come check. <laughs> thank you so much Shala. No, thank you this is I'm honored thank you for inviting me child trauma occurs more than you think more than two-thirds of children report at least one traumatic event by age 16 these events include physical and sexual abuse school violence witnessing domestic abuse neglect verbal abuse sudden or violent loss of a loved one, and so much more. The impact of traumatic situations can last well beyond childhood. In fact, research has shown that child trauma survivors may experience learning problems, long-term health problems, abusive adult relationships, and increased involvement with the welfare and justice systems. But there is hope. Children can and do recover from traumatic events, and you can play an important role in their recovery by being a part of their supportive caregiving system. For resources and more information, visit the National Child Traumatic Stress Network at www.nctsn.org. Y'all, thanks so much for listening to these Survivor Stories every month. As always, I pray you're inspired in some way to keep on surviving. If you've got a Survivor Story that you want to share with our listeners, you can follow us on Instagram at My Survivor Voice and click the link in the bio. To keep up with monthly episodes, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at trulydanny underscore L. That's T-R-U-L-Y-D-A-N-I underscore E-L-L-E. And that is all that I have for today, y'all. It's crazy that we are nearing the end of this season. I cannot believe it. We only have two episodes left in the very first season of this podcast. And I'm kind of excited about it. So until next time, remember, you can't heal what you won't reveal. So speak up. Let them hear your survivor voice.